Hey everyone, welcome to episode two of Multiple Calls. I'm Scott Hewlett. So episode one with Jordan Parrish went really well. Uh, the feedback's been encouraging. That is also some very helpful criticism to improve things, uh, which I really appreciate. Keep that coming. And uh, so here we are rolling on. Finally got us up on iTunes, so you can find us there. And we're also on the Squarespace uh, website, Facebook, Instagram, and SoundCloud. So if you're listening to us, you've obviously found us on one of those places. But if you're trying to help others listen to it, or you want to see some content regarding the podcast, uh, check out those other locations. So speaking of which, I'm refacing the logo and the look of the podcast. Uh, I was brought to my attention that uh, James Gearing of Behind the Shield, which is another firefighting podcast, uses the same hydrant picture that I have uh, chosen for mine. Um, so I was unaware that his podcast existed. Um, so firstly, I'm really happy to find another one, and I'm going to start listening to it, and you should too. Uh, he's 73 episodes in, so there's uh, quite a catalog to get into. I'm not looking to steal anyone's look. Um, you know, it's important to uh, do my own thing and not step on anyone's toes, even though uh, I spoke to him, and he's a stand-up guy, and he sees no issue. Uh, yeah, I've got a friend and colleague that's going to take some uh, photos for me and uh, we're going to bring a new look to the whole thing. So I'm excited to bring that to you. So today you're going to be listening to my conversation with Peter Reed. He's better known as Zeus. Nicknames are ubiquitous in the fire service and it's going to be interesting to hear how his came to be. He was born, raised, works, and still lives in the same city. He was a hazmat officer for eight years. And he's been involved in FireFit and the Combat Challenge for years now. He was part of our department's team that won five Canadian National Championships and three World Championships. And in 04, he was the individual over 40 World Champion. I'm really gracious that he made it up for a second recording because the first one got lost. And I'm excited for you to hear our conversation. Now I bring you Peter Reed. Zeus. All right. Welcome. <laughs> I guess just to say... Uh, Welcome back. Welcome back. I uh, addressed it in the uh, intro of the last podcast, and I yeah, addressed it again in the intro. You didn't need to do that. <laughs> I addressed it again in the intro to this podcast. Yeah. Did I you? Did. Yeah, I just oh. feel I just feel horrible. But you don't have to. Not at all. <laughs> None taken. Today's drive wasn't uh, blizzard conditions, but um, no, you got in a bit of a conga line with a salt truck. Ugh. You know, there was one guy behind, and I couldn't believe what he was doing. He was like 10 feet behind the salt truck, getting blasted by the salt truck. And he right. just sat there. Yeah. Because when I went past him at, you know, Mach 10, it was like, oh, my God, look at this guy. Sitting there being just peppered. <laughs> and he just he just sat there. He never he never pulled out. There was like eight other cars go yeah. past his salt truck, and this guy just sat there getting blasted. Oh, whatever. In his friend's car. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> my mom won't mind. In the rental. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so uh, let's start with the nickname. I think it's a good place to start. Like I was mentioning in the intro, it's uh, it's pretty prevalent in the fire service in general. Um, so it'd just be interesting to get the background on yours. Yeah. Well, it was given at birth when I was born on a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> when I thought about it, it's like like I said, everyone gets a nickname, but. I think it's it's holding on to a nickname. Yeah, for this long, it's been thirty five years. <laughs> yeah, I've had it like forever. Right. In fact, and you're you know, you're known better for it than your actual name, right? Well, yeah, 
you know, if somebody says Peter, it's like, okay, throw through the scroll of as to which Peter you're talking about. Right. Which has happened with us, right? Like halfway through knowing you, I called you Peter one day and it was like, what, what, yeah. what are you, what are you? Why are you being my mother? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is tough also when sometimes when you're introducing people to, to a friend or to a colleague, right? And, yeah. And, and you got to actually think about what's their name? Yeah. Well, as if you're going to introduce them, you know, okay, this is Zeus. Yeah. It's like, yeah, pff, whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah. Good one, buddy. Right. Right. Uh, if, yeah. We'd all be the Duke if we could pick our nickname. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I just feel better lucky than good. Right. Right. That I managed to just keep it. It's, it's funny because a lot of people thought it was, you know, during those combat years and right. Yeah. Which we'll touch that. on. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mean to go there, but I'm just saying that somebody both thought that right i was like no no it's uh it's actually a dog yeah <laughs> <laughs> so how did it happen uh well i was playing a lot of baseball at the time slow pitch at a very high level so it was very competitive and and everybody was trying very hard and i was playing in the outfield and you know back then i could really run and i, I had a dog named Zeus. He was a 165 pound Great Dane. And after the game, I would let him off and he'd run around the field like an idiot, right. arms and legs everywhere. And yeah. that's when Annie McDonald said, Hey, that looks like Reed out there. Right. So it uh, was like, wow, Zeus. And then that was it. Yeah. End of story. The whole team <laughs> like immediately started calling me Zeus and then it just went from there. How so. far into your career? Oh, very early. Yeah. Like a year. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. Right. So this yeah. has been the whole way. Like yeah, 32 years. Right, right. Man, crazy. A lot of people I mountain bike with, they, they don't even know my name. Right. I mean, even introducing you to the new recruits when I was talking to them, right? Yeah. I, mean, I just referred to you as DC and I went to say Reed or something. I'm like, I said DC Zeus or something. Yeah. It just sounds ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> They're all like shaking their heads. Yeah. What? It's, it's so familiar and so formal at the same time. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. Yeah. Um, so you were hired in 85. Yeah. Yeah, Ju July 8th, the same day I was hired, but in 98, so... Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. To the day. Yeah. Jeez, born in the fire service on the same day. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your path to the job? Like, how'd you end up here? Um, well, it was not that far out of high school, you know, 20 years old. I, you know, I curled with the fire chief at the time. Right, and still curling. <laughs> which, which, yeah, still curl. Well, I got back into curling, but... Right. It's funny how, you know, at the time there was probably f five, six guys at least from the curling club trying to get on the fire department at the same time. It was a big hiring. They were hiring mm -hmm. 24 people, which was unheard of back then, but they broke it into three classes of eight. So I was in uh, the third class, mm -hmm. but you know, I was the only curling guy to make on the uh, department. Wow. So I was kind of super thrilled with that and, yeah. I, and couldn't believe it, you know, it was it's the, still the dream job even 33 years ago. Right. So. But was it in your mind? Were you hanging out with these guys thinking, I want to do what they do? And Well, I was 20 years old. You know, you don't know what you want to do, really. And again, right. I know some guys are like, no, no. When I was eight years old, I want to be a firefighter. Right. So it was like, I, I Some people in high school said that I mentioned it because I would see them at a reunion or something. And they know you've been doing it forever and right. been very successful at it. And. And they said that I had mentioned those words in, in high school. So I don't recall, hmm. but yeah, it was just, but it was difficult to get on even back then. Like, oh, okay. you know, knowing the fire chief, that had nothing to do with, you know, maybe once you got to the interview phase, but there was physicals and aptitude tests and medicals and all that stuff prior to that and filling out your application and going from there. Right. So, yeah. Right on. So pretty lucky. <laughs> So you had a lasting experience when early on with a aerial ladder. Oh my God. 
right? So yeah. how, how long on was that? I was only on like a year. Right. So you, you had know, an interesting first year. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I've had, I had a crazy rookie career. I really did. Like when you look back, you know, it's station one for 13 years right. down to station six for a little bit when it got open, but mm. yeah, that whole aerial ladder thing. Oh my God. It was, uh, back then the aerial was this old Tebow big rookety thing and when you put that up 100 feet and you climb to the top it was scary that thing's moving all over the place right. so i had to do the climb for the rookie when they have this class of kids come to station one so 24 kids are watching they take the aerial out put it up high send the rookie up so i climb all the way to the top shit in my pants the whole way up it is high like right. in the middle of the parking lot holy cow and you've only been on a year Oof. So I get up there, put the foot pads down. We do a 360. You got your belt locked in and everything's good. And then uh, you're getting psyched up for the climb down, which is even more difficult. So once the ladder lined up with the bed, I knew the whole thing was over. And I put the foot pads up and started to climb down. And then the guy operating the tower said, no, 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 just stay there. I'll bring you down. Because he knew it was it was sketchy to climb down. So I'd already come down a bit. And I, and I just said, yeah, whew, I'm good with that. <laughs> I'll just hold, hold on for dear yeah, life. Yeah, I'll just stand here. It'll yeah, be perfect. Right. Until about 45 feet in the air, the ladder rungs start to cross. So it caught my boot, my left boot. So it's going up while the, the rungs come down and it gets scissored through the rungs. <sighs> and I see the toe of my boot touch my shin <laughs> in slow motion. I was like, oh my God, this really hurts. <laughs> <laughs> with with all, a, a class of kids oh, watching. Oh, yeah, the kids, are, you know, you'd, yeah. you'd think that the kids are cheering. This is a fantastic show. This is, like, awesome. <laughs> How was the language? Uh, well, I yelled for him to shut it down, and, okay. and so the rungs open up, and I pulled my foot out, and I'm standing on one good foot, and it got caught by oh. the time he shut it down. So he had to back the ladder up to get that foot out, and then I just climbed down. Could have been both feet. Yeah, not hooked in, not nothing. Oh. I could end up in a you know, a heap yeah. right beside him on the turntable. Yeah. Been... From 45 feet. <laughs> yeah. At the start of your career. Oh my God. Horrible. So. So did anyway. you have to get your foot out of the boot right away? Like how well, was the trip was to the a, hospital? That and... was a smart thing that I did. The one, the one smart thing that I did was, was to have the fortitude to, to think you got to get this boot out or like your, you could feel your foot swelling up inside. Right. So they wouldn't have had to cut it out and oh, that would have been a horrible thing at the hospital. So mm. yeah, I broke two bones and. You know, subsequently, I've ended up having so many things wrong. I had follow-up surgeries years later from yeah. the debrading of scar tissue and all that sort of thing. So it's, yeah, it's a mess. Yeah. And an ambulance ride to the hospital or? No, the DC took me, which was so hilarious because the, the DC at the time, they were driving these old station wagons, right. these old yellow station wagons yeah. that had big bench seats in the front. Well, the DC at the time, Bob Prosser, he's like five foot two. Right. So and you're could, six three yeah. plus probably. <laughs> yeah, and I get yeah. in the, I get in the front seat, and my knees are up around my, you know, up around my ears. Oh man, too much. So. But and how was that? Like, how long were you off the job? And you just got on. Was that? It must have been pretty gutting to like just get your job, and then now you're off with this busted foot. Yeah, yeah, it was horrible. And see, back then there weren't modified duties or anything. You right. were just off. See Did, ya. Were you getting paid, or was it? Yeah. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, I think you're on your sick time. And I'm but not, no one cares when you're that on that young. You yeah. just want to get in and do the job. Oh, like, yeah, for sure. Ugh. It was killer not yeah. being there. But, you know, so, so long ago. I think it was just right. hopped up on pills and stuff to keep the pain down because you couldn't stand up. Right. It felt like, it felt like your foot was going to explode. Hmm. So, yeah. so you were born and raised and, and still live and work all in the same city. <laughs> yeah. 
So that gives you a, uh, but it gives you a, a pretty interesting perspective, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of benefits to being so familiar with the city. Like you've watched it grow, you know, almost every nook and cranny. I mean, obviously driving around, if you hear an address, I mean, other, I mean, it's really exploded now. So there's new areas that maybe we'll never learn, but you know, the core of the, of the city, you knew every. Well, yeah, sure. My, my parents grew up in Brampton, like, oh my God, we're like, we've been here a long time, but mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. There's, you know, the main areas of Brampton, boy, I can wail around and it make it sure is helpful and you're able to help other guys too you know in all those years in the trucks that you just know certain areas and stuff but a lot of it back then they knew the city as well because it was a lot of local people right where now it's just it's backfilled by people who you know live much farther away right right so yeah they don't know the city as well right so you can help them in certain aspects Mm -hmm. response times going to certain areas certain roads at certain times of the day are better and you know i actually made the comment you know driving a couple shifts ago about you know how much i knew an older area because it it was just easier right yeah totally smaller and and then now in this new area with they're running out of street names and Oh yeah, it's. I don't think think I'll ever learn the area. I keep oh, yeah. trying, but Snow Leopard Lane. Like, I know you know whatever. the majors, right? Oh, yeah. You know the majors, and you get in there, and uh, yeah, it's a whole new world. And the majors are major. Yes, you know, like Steeles Avenue now. Holy cow! Right. I got a picture of my parents' farm that was a two-lane dirt road. Right. And now you could land a jumbo jet on it. It's eight lanes wide or more. It's like ten lanes wide right, in, spots. in some spots. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. they're all like that. Yeah. Dixie Road's like that, everything. Queen Street, right. you go to Chincuzzi and McLaughlin, it's, you know, out in that right. area, they're all big roads. Sand Which makes it them. interesting driving through them and checking all the lanes. So many cars. Yeah. 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 It's a full city. So have you ever had concerns, like we talked about some of the benefits of being familiar with the city, but have you ever had concerns with responding to someone that you know? Like, has that ever happened? Well, yeah, you do have a concern of that growing up. There's, you know, you're going to run into some accident or house fire or something that has something to do with people you know. I had a, a suicide one time of a car southbound on Dixie and drove into an abutment. You know, the car mm-hmm. was seven feet long when he was done doing what he needed to do. And right. luckily he was by himself, but I thought it was a guy that I curled with at the time. Wow. And I didn't know until I got right up close and like in way too close to really identify the guy. And boy, oh boy, your heart is in your throat. You don't even know what to think. It's uh, very nerve wracking, very emotional. Mm-hmm. So how yeah. long did it take you to process that to realize that it wasn't the person you thought it was? Um, not that long, but time seems to slow down when you think it's somebody. Because I think when you think it's somebody, then all your recollections and everything you have with that person like immediately start to flow to the front of your head right and you start to think you know oh my god that's that's so and so and 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 yet you haven't you you kind of don't want to know but you need to know yeah it's uh it was nerve-wracking so we've talked before a number of times about like the mental aspects of the job right and and even though you afterward like very quickly processed it and realized it wasn't who you thought it was like mm-hmm. your brain still went through the experience of thinking it was someone you knew like did it did it stick with you that whole moment afterwards or was it come and gone so quickly uh, that yeah you were very glad you know oh, yeah geez, uh, it's not him Whew. right but and did you, you reflect kinda... on it days afterwards that like so was it coming up more because of that moment you experienced uh well it was sort of your Again, because it wasn't him, you were right. very thankful, mostly. Right. So right. I think, uh, you know, and then you were like, whew, got lucky there. Because you always think that eventually you're going to, 
living in this city as long as you have and knowing how many people you know in the city that eventually it's it's going to happen so yeah. we were very lucky and thought oof that was a near miss yeah. and then you I, just kind of moved on with it just you know go back to doing your job right yeah that's one thing that's that's i'm relieved of now moving up away from the city yeah so i've responded into my own area and onto my own street yeah and you you definitely have a different level we, of concern i had a call one time to the house i grew up in so oh. i we lived there for 25 years we were the first people to move into it right. in bramley woods so house fire no it was a med call oh, okay so as soon as it came in everybody's running to the map and <laughs> all this stuff and i said uh yeah i got this one <laughs> i know where we're going like i mean exactly i know the bedroom we're going to like that's funny so when we went into the med call we go upstairs and i'm looking i'm trying so hard to focus on the call and all i want to do is look around <laughs> <laughs> stroll down memory lane yeah, oh my god you're in your house yeah you painted honestly you painted <laughs> it's yeah. like that bathroom is still the same i right. can't believe that it's purple <laughs> you're still using my toothbrush oh that's funny well that happened with hooter do you remember there was the meth lab explosion in fours yeah. area yeah and yeah. and the same thing he's like i know where we're going because it was called in from his house he thought he was responding to his own home oh okay because i think it was his wife or a family member that called about the house next door we relieved that crew the next morning right i had to go out and you know sift around and everything but yeah, yeah i do remember that. it blew the whole bay window the whole the whole house oh, yeah. the walls came out and the roof yeah. came down right yeah. it was yeah, it exploded. severe yeah yeah no whole lot of textbook meth lab explosion yeah yeah so talking about calls like we are like it can be a pretty loaded topic right and it depends on sort of the context and company, I think. Mm, yeah. So sometimes, you know, it's, that's due to the details, right? That can be unappealing to some people. And or more often it's asked by someone you just met. Like we just talked about meeting new people, maybe out of the service. And they usually ask you this question, like, what's, oh, the, yeah, wor yeah. what's the worst call you've ever had? Well, you get your buddies doing that, right? Yeah. Mostly, and and yeah. maybe they mean well because they're just trying to make conversation. But um, yeah, it's a bit of a loaded thing, right? Because we don't necessarily, you don't necessarily want to remember the worst call you've ever had. No, and that that typically doesn't come to mind. You know, some of those calls, you really got to start to compartmentize certain things. As you move along in your career, you need to learn how to put things in places so that they don't come up or that you've, you know, through the whole peer support thing, we've discussed many yeah. times about yeah. how you, what you need to do to compartmentize certain thoughts so that they don't recur all the time, right. deal with them and, and that type of thing. So, uh, yeah, you can pull up calls in your head that have happened that are, you know, very horrific. Oh my God, I could, I could write a book, but I don't, you don't want to spout off about everything, but some are so unbelievable that they, you know, movies do things justice. Uh, like, like the way they do special effects and stuff is very real. So mm -hmm. movies look real, but they don't come with the smells and they don't come with the emotion and, right. you know, that kind of thing that, that you have. Feeling the rain on your face, on that kind of stuff. On top of, well, yeah. and the smells, yeah. the smells mostly. Yeah. That's, right. that's one thing people don't, and, and smell being the greatest stimulant for memory. Right. We've got a ton of them. So how do you, do you know how you do that? Or do you, have you just naturally built it up without knowing what the, what your process is? Yeah, I don't, sometimes I don't think it's as conscious as that. I think sometimes you, you realize, what am I going to do now? You know, as you reflect back on a call after, mm -hmm. and then either you get more calls on top and you haven't had time to process and that can be bothersome and that's why we know to have interventions with people sometimes very early so that they are aware of some tools and skills of how to what to do to deal with those calls mm -hmm. so but everybody's brain operates different and it really what works for you you can read a whole bunch of articles and magazines about what you should be doing with your life but not everything works for everybody right 
So I think for me, knowing that the question is going to just come up through life, I've, I've almost built a bit of a catalog of like, well, when this question gets asked, I, I tell these stories. Yeah, you throw this bone to people and they're right. like, oh, so, yeah, that's, oh, that's really cool. That are safe for you yeah. and, and safe for them. They're party appropriate. Yeah, and, and I don't, you know, some of them are, they're ghastly. But yeah, I don't, they yeah. don't come with names. Nobody knows anybody of, you know, right. of anything like that. But, I mean, they go in the box of these don't get told to people that don't well, need to hear them. Yeah, some are, because it can be so horrific, doesn't necessarily mean it will imprint you emotionally, I don't think. Right. You know, like you say, sometimes those kids calls, they really cut through that mm-hmm. type of thing. But Especially you know, if you have children, which you do, right? And yeah. I do as well. So. And, and I'm not taken away from the fact that everything's tragic. Everything's tragic. Mm-hmm. But you're, we're in the business of tragic. Mm-hmm. We respond to tragic all the time. Right some worse than others. It's all a matter of degrees of, of what it is you're responding to. Mm-hmm. So we've, uh, we've talked to our department, um, about this in general. And I think there's, there was a way that we framed it, uh, that you can set yourself up a little bit, right? <clears throat> if you starting your career and you haven't run kid calls is a great example. So you, you know, you're telling yourself and everyone else is telling you, Oh, kid calls, uh, yeah. they're the worst. They're the worst. Oh yeah. my God. Kid calls. And you keep telling yourself, Oh, kid calls are the worst. Kid calls are the worst. And, so then when you show up to the kid call, you've already told yourself for X number of years that they're the worst. Do you think yeah. that kind of sets you up for it being more impactful? And then and then the flip side of this is if you're not impacted, do you feel like you're a monster because you think you should be because everyone's told you you should be? Yeah, and all of a sudden you get that call and it's like, man, that wasn't so bad. Yeah, I mean, what's wrong with me? Yeah, what's all the hype? Right. What's all the hype about the kid calls? Right. But, you know. Where well, it might I, be safer to sort of take the call as they come and react definitely. as they come. Yeah, they are. It is what it is, and you need to just be ready, and that—that's the big one. Is just be ready for. It's it. That's what the job that a lot of people don't understand is how you need to be ready for everything. Like, oh my God, it's it's the it's the whole spectrum of everything you can exist or or imagine. It can happen, and right. in places it does happen. So that whole lightning bolt thing that. <laughs> we're in a lightning storm right so so uh prior to the the podcast like a you know you and i are corresponding back and forth and sort of hitting on like what, what topics are we going to cover and and we brought up in and then you brought up about close calls right yeah so i mean it doesn't have to actually be a call like the latter you know that's a that's a close call right it could have been worse could have been both feet um yeah. but is there anything else like any, any well i've been i've been a flashover in the basement which was um, a real, you know, when you see this, the flames rolling over your head, like waves, it's like a snapshot because it doesn't last forever. It's just the smoke ignited and everything was just rolling right over top. And I remember seeing it and then we dove for the floor. And then once it all flashed over, it was like, oh my God, we have to get out of here. So luckily we just, you know, grabbed the hose and just started to make our way out. Right. And, and it was, it all happened so quickly. Everything happened so quickly, mm-hmm. but it becomes so and uh burned into your mind no pun intended, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> actually it was total pun <laughs> but it was uh yeah you can't you can't get that out of your head mm. so that and was you... that was more of a horrific holy geez you know mm. you don't really realize right at that second what is happening and how did that experience um differ and impact you than hearing about what it would be like we have flashover containers now. I mean, even those are not 
you know absolutely what it's like but it's it's closer and you guys didn't have that right so were you told about that before or was it just reading literally a line in your textbook and then you yeah. experience you're like that was different than what i was told yeah again that was a long long time ago that would be you know 25 or more years ago mm. 28 years ago mm. holy cow that's that's a long time and again it was just a house fire and we just went down into the basement doing right. what you need to do did so you, did you pick fighting. up on any other ones after that quicker um, well, you were always a little nervous going down in a basement. That's for sure. Right. Cause I, you know, again, you walk in like, again, the, the John Q public doesn't understand that, you know, when do you just go to any house in any neighborhood, close your eyes and just go in and try and find something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, that's, it's, it's crazy. We, we had a call that, um, it was a reported house fire with people trapped. So we go inside and this was very early in the call. So there was only two crews inside. The one crew located the mother. So they said there was a mother and a child in the house and they located the mother and they were dragging her out and, and the one crew was looking after it. And then once they got her outside and we helped, we helped take her out, there was only me and one other guy that had to go that were packed up and ready to go, to go into this, um, like a side split kind of thing. So we went in and we were the only two that could find this child. And you knew it was on your shoulders. Oh my God, your heart is pounding through your chest. And I remember searching through and it was so frustrating that you couldn't see anything in in this house. All because of the smoke. And then I came across these sliding glass doors. And I remember whirling around and booting out a set of sliding glass doors. Wow. Yeah, that was real crazy stuff. And then all of a sudden, the whole room just cleared right out right immediately. And you could see everything we went through. And, and the, the kid didn't even end up being in there. Wow. But at, you know, at the time, you didn't know. And it was you and your partner in there. And you were the only people that were going to be able to find them. Crews weren't even on scene yet. Right. And you knew time was of the essence. Mom, the mother didn't look good when she was right. being dragged out. So hose line with you? Did you guys do that at that time? We were off the hose line because we the hose line was in the room. Mm. But we had got off it right. to do the search. But it was in your room with in yeah. your room with you. Yeah. 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 So So we deal with these uh we just touched on it before about cognitive and emotional impacts of calls, right? We deal with them I think differently today than we did when you first got on. Mm. Right. Very. So you, you've, you've seen that transition almost like, you know, that there would be some of us have experienced like technology changes from you know, no TV to black and white TV to now, you know, um, you know, 80 inch, 100 inch, you know, flat screens on the, on the, the wall. So you've seen this, this, this shift in how we process this stuff and. Yeah. In how, certain regards, it's very high tech. You know, we've got the thermal imaging cameras now and right. you know, all that kind of thing. And everyone has a radio. That's a real kicker. We used to have only the captain had a radio. So right. you stuck to that guy like glue. You didn't go anywhere. We didn't have man down buttons on our radios. Like it was, it was old school. Right. So how have you seen the change from not dealing with this emotional cognitive impacts and then, and then, or dealing with it in a certain way to how we do it today? Well, it's, it's so much better today. You know, we recognize it. We recognize the, the positive influence and impact that it has on, on firefighters to recognize that and, and to address it where, you know, back in the day, it was in the old days, you know, suck it up, buttercup. We didn't even talk about it. If something was bothering you, you deal with it, buddy. Right. Yeah. There was no, that type of, you know, the way we address things nowadays and look at them. You didn't even think about it. You dealt with it on your own in however way you did. But with your, your personality and your worldview, did you always 
feel like you should or that you wanted to or that you were did you feel like you were more self-aware than maybe some of the people around you and mm. and, and that, because because now like you haven't carried what i'm saying is you haven't carried forward that gruff attitude you know either either you went through a transition period where you realized and it changed or it's always been there and you've always felt that way and then all of a sudden it became okay yeah probably the latter yeah i would say that you know i, I and i would still talk to people i think i would talk nobody else did and nobody else wanted to so right. But that didn't stop me from, you know, even bringing something up or I don't know. I don't, I'm not a real hold my cards tight kind of guy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, think, I'm yeah. a lap dog. I like people. I like, you know, right. mixing it up. So, you know, for me to hold something in and, you know, I, that just wasn't me, I don't right. think. So. Have you, have you uh, I guess, been relieved about that then, that new shift? Like, are you, you probably enjoy the department more? You think it makes us tighter as a family? Yeah, it's certainly more healthy for everybody. So if everybody's healthy, both mentally and physically, that that's just for the betterment. Right. So it is for the better. I don't think I have um, that much of a conscious decision about that type of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think it rolls around in my head as much as you maybe think it does. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's also just a very natural thing for you yes. who you are as a person. Right. Yes. It's not. There's no effort. It's an effortless effort. Yes, I think yeah. so. Did it? Uh, did you address it differently? Um, switching from firefighter to captain now to DC, do you do you feel a bit more respon? Did you feel more responsibility as a captain to lead in a way to allow that dialogue? Do you do it now as a DC? I mean, you remember the peer support team, you yeah. know, for a number of years now. Like, cause has it shifted how much it is in your mind? There's certainly a lot more awareness now, a lot more to be able to discuss with every rank. You know, you talk to anybody at any rank and, and I'll have an open, free discussion about everything. And you really hope that the people you work with understand that and, and not, not that they're okay with that because I don't, I don't care because I know it's good for you. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I just think it's, it's healthy to have discussions about certain things. And sometimes you scratch the surface of things that are a little uncomfortable, but we're in an uncomfortable job. So when we get put in uncomfortable positions, so I think the ability to be able to discuss it or even have a, have a chat about it. And now all it is, is that the, the peer support is just, that's just grounded all that and made it all for a reason. Now, Mm -hmm. now we know why we do it before we just, we just did it or, or you just do it yourself sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And now I just feel like I'm, you know, a little, I don't want to say hyper aware, but very aware. Mm-hmm. as a DC you know you're responsible for your shift and half your shift and right that's a lot of people yeah being exposed all the time and it and it it does matter right when you have people in leadership roles that act in a certain way and when we were talking to those recruits um you know Ryan was there from training and uh just at, you know, when he was giving his little talk to them with us there as a peer support team talking to them he mentioned, you know, you guys, you know, you've never really experienced this, but you don't know how lucky you are to have a DC that's that, you know, that's this type of personality that's so welcoming and accommodating and, and, and down to earth and, and you are right. And I think you've probably experienced some leaders that weren't that way. So in a sense, they don't know any different, you know, how good they have it. Yeah. Having people that are just people. Yeah. If you never had anything bad, then right. how do you know what you have is good? Right. It just is what it is. Like guys that have never done any other job but this and they just yeah. think this is life. But that whole DC's office is just full of all 
great people. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's everyone in there does a good job and is aware of everything and and they're personable. Yeah, very. Yeah, absolutely. Where maybe that was I mean, we had great DCs all the way along that were great, maybe fireground commanders and they had great organizational structure for rosters and that. Um but maybe they were they were missing that personable touch, right? That allowed people to realize that it was okay. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. But it's it would different times. It's totally different times. The you know, our personnel has changed. You know, we're a very big department. We're working a different shift schedule. Like it's everything has changed. It's a you know, yeah, we're still Brampton Fire and Emergency Services, but you know, it's just a different uh it's a different department now. Right. So we see a lot of heavy stuff, but there's also a lot of calls that stick with us and make us feel good, right? Ones we should probably hold on to and carry us forward and maybe help us get through the tough ones, right? So what comes to mind when you uh, see the job through that lens? Well, you you know, you do have occasionally the opportunity to do something. Early on in my acting captain days, we had a call where a kid's leg was trapped in uh, his bicycle and it was trapped between the crank arm and the rear dropouts. So the way his leg was, the the other acting captain was senior to me and he made the call that we need to cut the bike here and that we're going to pull the kid's leg out. And I, you know, as you know, I do a lot of riding and mm-hmm. I saw the kids and I, I didn't, I didn't say anything because he was very certain of this and, you know, this is what we're going to do. And, and it was like, oh, okay, I don't think this is going to work. And they cut the bike and his leg didn't come out. And I said, can I try something? And we like picked up the bike and the kid and then gently turned the, the cranks over and it, and it just released the kid's leg. He just came out. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, the, tr- the truck that had cut his bike in half or almost in half, you know, they're like, okay, well, we're out of here. Right. And I felt so bad because it was such a simple fix, yet we still cut the kid's bike in half. So I talked to our crew, being an acting captain, I said, uh, you know, we get out we got to write this. Mm-hmm. I feel so bad. It was gnawing at you. Yeah. So we all chipped in, drove to Canadian Tire, bought the kid a new little bike and drove right back to his house. Like within like an hour and a half of, right. of the call, we had done all of this and gave it back and gave the kid a right. brand new bike. And what was that reaction wow. like? He was like, he went crazy. Right. Couldn't believe it. His mother couldn't believe it. It was, it was right. really a, a really big plus. Now, you know, it's kind of above and beyond to go and, you know, fork out your own money and buy the kid's bike. But it was... I don't know. It was the whole principle. Of the Split whole thing. between four people. Yeah, and it was, it was a, nothing. Eighty bucks. Yeah, so twenty each. Sure. Right? Yeah. yeah, it was nothing. So. And the value you get out of it is huge. Oh yeah, it was fantastic. Was that a was that a lesson for you in when you should speak up and when you shouldn't? That was that was a non. There was no damage that was done from allowing that other captain to sort of run the roost, right? Well, but, it's it's funny. Uh, there was a call that happened after that that made me, when you know something, know it, own it. Like, you know, stand up for it. Right. Well, especially when you know it. You know, he's like, well, I think we got to, you know, well, right there. He thinks we have to. Mm. And and because he he held rank over me, then, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't feel at that point that I had the position to, to outspeak him and out right. decide what was going to happen here. So. And there was also no threat of severe lasting consequences. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So on a fire scene, though. Well, it was a, it was, it was to do with like ventilation, and this mm-hmm. was before we had all the PPV and all that sort of stuff. Again, this is back in the old days, and I had a, a senior guy tell me how we should be doing this, and I said, no, that's not going to work. And we did it my way, and it worked like a charm. Right. And I even kind of, 
I didn't shove it in his face a lot, but I certainly made a point to say that, you know, um, I get what you're saying, but yeah, I'm making the decision. Which hopefully was a bit of a, I think we've always had, the, we've all had those moments, right? It's a bit of a humbling learning lesson for him. Yeah. Yeah. To, to take it, your team's value. Yeah. And use it. And I, and I heard him, but he was, he said it several times as in, this is what we need to be doing. And, and to go against somebody like that who, yeah. you know, it was a bit of a horn locking situation on yeah. scene. Now, luckily, nobody had seen it because we were in the hall of a, an apartment building, but still. Right. Yeah. So c- considering the um, the level and the quality of hirees now, what they have to have to get on, right? Do you think we're doing, and maybe we even have in the past, right? And, and these people don't come on as blank slates, right? They come on with some life experience, maybe even especially if they're a little older, you know, they could have grown up on a farm and been around machinery their entire life since they were, you know, eight years old working on stuff. Like, do we think, do you think we do a disservice sometimes of, of putting this pressure on them to like keep your mouth shut until you're a certain years on not, and, and then maybe they would feel on these, these times or they would know something. Right. And we could all value from it. Yeah. We hold them back and we hold ourselves back by not, getting to know them and letting them know they can speak up, right? When yeah. and where. Well, and that's getting to know your crew. And I think that's a real <laughs> responsibility of the officer to get to know his people and where his assets are. Everybody, like you said, everybody brings something to the table, young young or old. I always thought on the trucks, you always need to show up with four thinking firefighters. You don't get on there like a robot and just let the captain make all the decisions and everything. You got to be thinking and seeing because, you know, there you can't see everything. So there's mm-hmm. going to be times where you rely on your crew for sure to see something around the back or something as you were pulling up or something that you smelled that you didn't smell. Like, who knows what it is. But all the new recruits that come on, they they do bring exceptional experience. We've hired, we're hiring rock stars now. They're all excellent people, mm-hmm. like every single one. Like you hired the last 34 in the class, they were 34 out of 34. They were fantastic mm-hmm. recruits and will subsequently be excellent firefighters. But them coming on, old or young, you need to listen to the people who have experience on the job. Even somebody who has a year experience in the job, they know where things are around the hall. They know everything on the truck. They know, you know, they may not have had the experience of calls, but they certainly have experience of how things operate and, and the hierarchy and, and what you need to do and, you know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But the old people need to listen to the young people and the young people need to listen to the old people. You really need to feed off everybody. Like we're all mixed in here together we're all on the same ship yeah they get to know their strengths yes. and weaknesses yeah absolutely. they they get to know yours all of it and then and then you seamlessly work together yeah. hopefully i think it really is uh mostly situational but when you're around the hall that's the situation so naturally if somebody's been on a year longer than you they they know more of what's going on right so that uh that moment with you and the bike and uh do you think we still offer that level of community service is it better now is it is it the same is it worse like do we still does that still happen well you know, should that's we not be doing an sog it? that's for sure you know right. if you unintentionally cut a kid's bike in half you will replace the bike like, right. I, i've never read it <laughs> i've never read that anywhere not that we've all read all the sogs right no, right well, you should but do you do you hear of or see like do you feel you know just in general do you think that there's a level of care for customer service and uh, you know them over us sense now or is it or has that changed since you've been on well 
No, I think everybody cares. I think those are the people you're hiring. Those are the people who you're hiring people who want to care. You know, these are people who have worked very hard to get on this job. So, you know, it, it requires thousands and thousands of dollars of education and investing in yourself. So, you know, if you can't believe in yourself after investing in yourself, then, then there's a problem. Right. But I think the people we're hiring all, all do care. They come in knowing the job and, and, you know, and again, they have sometimes blind expectations as to what they want to get out of the job. And you only know that until you start talking to people. Mm-hmm. So do you think some of them experience like a disenchantment when, um, if they get on, they think everyone's going to think the cert- a certain way and they, and within every industry you end up meeting people that you're thinking, what are you, what are you doing here? Right. Mm-hmm. Do you think we all experience that? at some point and, and then align ourselves with the people that that we want to emulate? Yeah, probably. I think that when you first get on, I think you're just so pie-eyed, you know, you're just, ex- <laughs> just happy to be there, right. right? Every day is like like key lime pie. I love right. it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's after you've been on a few years that maybe the disenchantment starts to creep in perhaps if you're mm-hmm. not running calls, if you happen to get you know, with people that are not as into the job as you, or, you know, you could get an officer that's not as much into training and, and keeping up on skills, perhaps, right. you know, that there's people that they're getting fewer and fewer. I know that, you know, that's because true. we're, because we're backfilling with awesome, it's nothing but, you know, right. It'll be pushing old codgers like me out the yeah. door. Always the optimist, Jesus. <laughs> Always the optimist. <laughs> So uh, you mentioned combat earlier mm. on, uh, and I mentioned it in the intro. Um, and we were just talking about stress and like fitness has always been a great way, right, for people like us, our personalities, firefighters, emergency services to deal with stress, right? And we tend to be we're in a very and you mentioned mountain biking, like we've biked and snowboarded together, and you know you do this these high adrenaline jobs, and it tends to be the stuff off the job is like it has to be just as like high intensity to as a stimulus, but it's, it's the way we deal, right? Um, well, it's kind of, I, I sort of think sometimes it's how we're hardwired. You know, when I was a little kid, uh, I'm climbing trees right to the top. Like it's like, I don't think you should be up that high. Right. It's like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> little monkey man up there. So, yeah. or riding my bike all day, you know, we were adventurous. We were just doing stuff and, right. you know, I don't want to say not necessarily getting into trouble, but that's certainly pushing the thresholds all the time. Right. So then, you know, you take that kid and make him an adult and put him in a in a profession like that. I sometimes think, what do you think's gonna happen? Right. <laughs> what you expect? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Holy cow! It's right. like, what's that? Oh, that's combat challenge. Wow, looking good. Yeah, and 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 then you know, speaking to that, right? Certain people can see something like that and think, you know, I'll I'll just participate, right? Yeah. They're they're just gonna participate in it, and then. Some people may have a completely different attitude where it's like, I want to, I want to win that. I want to be the best at that. Well, I think, and again, certain kids were, you know, the, the five-star Cubs, you Mm -hmm. know, when you were in Cubs, it's like, well, I want to get my bronze lanyard and I want to work towards this. And you're reading through the book and I think I can get this badge and well, this badge will take me to this star. And you know, that, that type of, or, you know, and there were kids there that were like, the hate Cubs. sucks right mom drops me off every thursday night i hate it here <laughs> but i i you know i loved it i thought it was fantastic right and, you know went through years of cubs and then scouts and so you're always trying to you know achieve things I, and i wasn't 
beaten at home as in you go out there and be the best at everything. That's right, right. So, right. you know, I, I think when you just start doing something, you think you can get better at it. And then right. all of a sudden, it's a competition. Mm. Well, now it's game on. Right. So you, like, what was your first, what was your first introduction to the combat challenge? And then you obviously, you had the, I want to, that's, I want to do that. Yeah. Well, we saw it on TV. Okay. So... It was like, wow, look at that, a firefighter competition doing firefighter stuff. So we, you know, we tried to track it down. And again, this is pre-internet, which, you know, accessibility of information now is crazy. Like mm-hmm. it's just everywhere. You can get anything at the touch. So of from the couch, watching it on the TV, yeah, you can literally I, you know, Google you, it and yeah, get the you information on it. Stuff down. Yeah, you couldn't watch it again. Like it didn't loop like that. There weren't eight hundred channels. There was only you know <laughs> this was very rare to see, and it was like it was almost like a flash. And how do yeah. I find that out? And right. I kind of remembered the department that won it. They were from Casper, Wyoming. Hmm. So I start, you know, figuring out how to get in touch with Casper, Wyoming. You and pulled then, out your atlas. <laughs> I don't know what I did. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You start phoning, you know, operators and can you put me to here? And then, you know, things would go dead. It would take a long time to actually find out, you know, who was doing this, who on Casper, Wyoming, or who are these guys? And how do we get in? Yeah. So then they put us on to something uh, to who was actually um, on target was the company in the States that was, was doing the challenge. So then we, I finally got in touch with them. And they said, oh, yeah, we're having a, a competition, you know, next spring. It's in Springfield, Massachusetts. And, yeah, come on down. I said, well, you know, we're from Canada and we're coming down. Yeah, absolutely. Come on down. <laughs> so we... You're tried. harmless. Get down yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, come on, you good little Canadians. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. We'll show you how things are yeah, done. Yeah, So how did how, how was it done? How did it go? Well, we, you know, there's a bunch of us. And, you know, again, you're trying to sell it to people and... Everybody's coming up and trying, and eventually we had this core group that that decided to go down. And at one time, one of the guys in our job worked for Bristol, and and they gave us a bit of money to pay for the the entry fee, and and gave us some gear that we could wear that was lighter because we kind of researched into what was going on and and how we could be a little better and practiced everything we could. So we go down to the Springfield, Massachusetts meet, and there's a it was huge. There was. 36 teams there was massive for the for a regional at the time and don't we win it <laughs> oh my god like jaw dropping it was like what right by a significant margin were you squeaking uh, by or was it no, like no we it was it was uh, we didn't kill anybody but we won right yeah so you know we beat this team that was on tv because right. you know they were talking about the tv team from springfield you'll never beat them and right. how surprised were you versus everyone else was it everyone just stunned or yeah, was it totally stunned and the, right. the funny thing was we had t-shirts made up when we went down there they had the demon on the front and then on the back they had this big red maple leaf that said canada over right. the top of it like, right. like oh my god and at least like the six of us walking around with all these shirts on right and at the end of it They couldn't give us all the prizes because they thought we were from Brampton, Connecticut. (laughs) And I said, well, really? Like, did no one see our matching t-shirts that say Canada on the back with big leaves on them? Oh my gosh. So yeah. So you went home empty handed? Well, we, they gave us a dummy that had been dragged 3,000 miles. (laughs) It was bleeding pellets all over our van the whole way back. Oh my God. Uh. Uh, it was more of a more of a hindrance than a help well we were supposed like the the back then booty was big right we you would have got five sets of combat boots five sets of bunker gear 
jackets, a brand new dummy. Like it was, it was incredible. Just for first place. Yes. Wow. I couldn't believe what they set were your team up out. for the future. And... Yes. Here you go. Yeah. Go cool. back to Brampton, Connecticut. Yeah. Brampton, Connecticut. <laughs> we're north of that. So from that, you wow. know, uh, on the way to you know five national championships in Canada and three world championships, like what was that journey like? Well, it was. We had a fire under our butts, that's for sure. Right. After that, so we went back and we started to take the game very seriously and mm -hmm. tried to figure out, you know, how to do it and you know how to do it better and faster and what you need to do physically and and all that sort of thing. And then as years progressed, then then we started to to be noticed mm -hmm. after that that's for sure right and then in comes all the other canadian teams so canada became very strong and and our strengths over the years because we've had so many canadian teams win worlds oh my gosh like ottawa won worlds and um windsor well windsor and yeah. then kamloops and delta and hamilton and oakville and oh my god like we're we're a powerhouse right in in the world of combat challenge and fire fit mm. and a number so. of those teams ours being one of them have won five they've got their name on the canadian trophy five times yeah well wins you know it was all kind of um the way teams you kind of handed the torch off to the next team because you can't do it forever you right. can't stand top the sport's too hard mm -hmm. so you know you have your years of of being the dynasty the, yeah to be in the dynasty and that's exactly right. it and you know went from us and then it went to windsor and then it went to kamloops and then it went to you know all the other subsequent teams in oakville and hamilton and mm -hmm. like i said they've all they've all worked their way through but it, it's it's the team it's a strong team and it's interesting how if you consider how competitive we are right mm -hmm. as personalities that how supportive and friendly and the camaraderie and the brotherhood and the family of that microcosm of the fire service right when i mean you've got you've got the fire service in general then you've got your country it's, it's just like sports right and then you've got your city right then you've got your shift <laughs> yeah right and then your crew and then really the, 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 the tiniest microcosm is like you've got people that participate in something like this right yeah well and it really is the job oh my gosh you know right. you train to do you know fire fit in canada and combat challenge on the, on the world stage it's it is the job. That's what you're training for. You're the you're the best guy on scene with breathing apparatus. Oh my gosh! So it uh, it can't help but make you a better firefighter, right? Like immediately. And you don't even realize. I think if you started doing the job, I, I noticed that, right? So like I started mm -hmm. to do it as well. I was in recruit class. That was our first yeah. introduction to each other. You you walked in with Brent and. You know, and oh, I hear you're the combat guy, and I said, "Recruit." You're like, "No, I'm not. I just, I've, I, I don't know how that happened." You know, tell a firefighter. All of a sudden, I just might have, must have uttered it. Oh, look at that! I want to try that. And all of a sudden, oh, you're the guy. Yeah. And uh, you guys drew me into the fold right away, and and so I, you know, I started training at that level, right out of the gate, yeah. and then I didn't notice until after. I went back down to say norm. You know, you can't maintain that mm -hmm. forever. You can maintain a high level of fitness, but that's that's above and beyond. So until you start doing like just basic fitness stuff, you don't realize how much easier and lighter things were when yeah. you were training at that level. Yeah, no, it got to elite level. Like we right. were, you know, it was sort of like, uh, you know, it got to be like Olympian stuff. You were that focused on what it was you were doing, and, mm -hmm. and you know, focused so much on legs and lungs. Like you were really a very powerful machine. Right. So, but but again, getting back to the whole camaraderie of the of the sport it's like a, an elite job and these are the elite people of that job and everybody's so um helpful which mm -hmm. you'd find in a lot of sports you know you're not like that you're my enemy 
Right. But we, I think everybody sees beyond that. You know, this is about our profession. That's where it came from. It's not as though it, it was in front of our profession. It mm-hmm. came as a result of our profession. Mm-hmm. So I think everybody never loses sight of that. And you're just getting talked to people. And it gives you an opportunity to, to speak to people all across Canada and North America and even the world. Right. I've had conversations with people when, you know, later on after everything, you get down to the nuts and bolts and you just start discussing business you know, the fire business. It's it's so amazing how many people across the our country, we all do the same job, but we do it so differently. Hmm. All their procedures and, and equipment and what it is you use and how you use it. And, and it's so it's so different. And yet we all go to house fires. Mm-hmm. They go to apartment fires. Here's right. a truck roll over on a highway. You know, it's it's all kind of the same same response. And the job we, gets done. Yeah, yeah, and the job gets done. But we right. all do it so differently. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, I find that all very interesting. And then you uh, you know you transitioned uh, from all of that and stayed in it, right? Refing and coaching the you know the next people coming up. Yeah, I had um, a real luxury. Well, luxury. I worked very hard to. The last year I did individual, I, I won the world mm-hmm. over 40 and set a world record, the first over 40 to go under 130 on the U.S. course. At the time, it was like a huge thing. Right. But I knew my knee couldn't take it anymore, right. and that was it. And I didn't want to push at that level because every time you went, you had to go harder. And then after you did that, it's like, well, that's really good. But, you know, what more do you have? Right. And you gotta, you know, <laughs> it never ends. More. It, it never, never ends. ends. Yeah. It never ends. Right. So I knew I wanted a little bit of longevity and be able to ride my bike and sure. snowboard and stuff like yeah. that. So having kind of been there, done that, uh, I was ready to kind of transition out of that. And, and refereeing was was a good one. I just started doing it. And then you felt that you were helping. And then next thing you know, people were saying, well, oh, you really helped me there. You know, you're talking me through the dummy drag, that kind right. of thing. So then you felt like you were giving back more. Yeah, I had so the same that, experience refing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that really, that really transformed. Not to mention we were we were hosting. We host hosted six regional events right. and a national event. Like yeah. a national event is huge. And, and everybody worked so hard. And our city was so well showcased when we when we hosted nationals. Right. And we're in such a good position. Everybody can easily get to Toronto. Mm-hmm. And we're like 15 minutes from the airport. So it's it was a very handy, handy mm-hmm. place to host nationals. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was a great event. A lot of work, but it, right. it was a great event. So with all that put in, I mean, it's, it's um, we never think about, we're never in it to get recognized. You know, it's a very personal challenge and, and um, goal and, you know, about your teammates and about meeting people and just, just that experience is a gift in itself, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it is nice. It's a nice surprise. Uh, it's a real gift when you are recognized. So tell me about the FireFit Award oh. for sportsmanship that you have named after you. Like, that's a pretty significant thing. Well, I, I, I was so taken back but you can't believe what was happening you know at at the nationals where i i was just refereeing but i was sitting with a bunch of guys at the back and there's 300 people at the banquet and the the guys that are two of the guys at our table they knew that i was getting this award and actually they knew I was being recognized for the whole thing. So they're feeding me doubles right. all night. Oh my God. <laughs> really doing you a favor. Oh yeah. yeah. Bastards. <laughs> so then at the, at the front, Dale started talking about my career in FireFit, and I'm sitting away at the back and you know, we're at nationals and I would hand the awards and what's he talking about me for? Like I couldn't believe mm. it. 
Then he goes, he's going on and on and on about it. And next thing you know, he says, well, uh, let's get Peter up on stage, shall we? <laughs> you had to almost pull me up there. I'm like, right. what? No way. <laughs> oh, my God. So I dragged my butt through all, all the chairs all the way to the front because we were sitting way at the back. And he comes up and then, and then starts going on that they want to name an award after me. I couldn't. I, I didn't know what to say. You right. know, I was I was stunned. I was shocked. I was, are you sure? Because I'm looking out in the audience. Like, Why not him or him or him? Like right. all these other people. And that's just the there. way you are. Yeah. Not only I had to point out that I'm not dead because I thought. You... <laughs> Usually it's just posthumous, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Very much so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you have to get dead to be a, an award named after? <laughs> I pictured you? floating above myself. Yeah. Like, yeah. Am I still here? <laughs> so you know, then they went and and then they wanted me to say something. Oh my gosh, it was a I was a mess. I didn't yeah. know what to say. Uh, no prep. Oh, none. And not at your normal alcohol level. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was brutal. I think the first thing I said was, well, you know, I'm probably going to swear here. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, uh, you know, having experienced that level of brotherhood, the family and the fire service, right? Um, you know, thinking about that and thinking about it in general in the fire service, um, you know, and seeing the growth of our department. Because, you know, when you first got on, and, and I, I really feel when I first got on, that the, the department was small enough that you could really get to know everybody and they got to know you, Right. And now we just keep exploding with class after class. Um, and you've really watched it go from grassroots, you know, to the, the you know, we're a city of, you know, 600,000 people. Yeah, plus. Plus, 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 oh, right? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Really pushing and only growing and the department growing with it. So have you seen like the brotherhood and family of the fire service, that sort of feel wax and wane like over the years like where, where is it now is it still the same is it different can we well yes and no you know a lot of a lot of things are better now for sure yeah we're you know everybody's having meals guys don't realize we always used to fend for ourselves you know this guy's having peanut butter sandwich and this guy's having ravioli and buddy's over here cooking mini pizzas and you know see i would have thought that was all, that was the main tradition that was always there no, and then we would have, a, you know, on Friday, the week of days with the different shifts that we work, we would have a big roast beef dinner there. And then on Sunday of the split shift, when we worked the Sunday day shift, mm -hmm. uh, we had our big breakfast. So and really that, the, the Sunday breakfast that, is the only, thing. that's the only thing that survived really. Uh, yeah. But, but the, the, well, the, the brown day, bagging, it has changed to totally. two meals a day. Oh, two meals. Well, you know, with the different shifts, but yeah. we're all cooked together and we all eat together, which is a fantastic thing. I think crews have really knitted together in... Uh, how they deal uh, around the hall. Mm -hmm. I think crews are very tight. Um, I don't think other shifts get that tight because again, we don't have the transitions we used to. And again, we're now we're working, let's call a spade a spade. We're working the 24 hour shift and it has a lot of downsides to it mm -hmm. that we, that you didn't have with the luxury of growing up with the different shift. I thought that other shift had many more transitions and because you worked shorter periods of time, you could, you know, you could maintain a high level of intensity for a shorter period of time. Hmm. Where now we're in for the long haul. You go right. to work for 24 straight hours, come hell or high water, you have no idea what your day is going to be. Right. So, and I know you get to go home at the end of it, but still you don't have the, the transition. You know, you relieve a certain crew and then when you leave in the morning, you, a different crew relieves you. So you don't see everybody that much. And you'd mentioned before... Uh you know, before we were doing this, um, that with the old shift, you would see the same crew six times in a row. Well, and, you know, having worked a, a day shift and a night shift and a split shift, which was two days and three nights. So of those three, 
just the three nights on the split. You'd come in Monday night and see the crew, and then you would see them Tuesday morning, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, Wednesday night, Thursday morning. Mm-hmm. There's like five or six changeovers in just three days of just the split shift. Right. Well, there's a lot of, of intangible transition of information, both personal and right. and with the job and work-wise yes you know hey how was your kids uh, recital last night you know that kind of thing and you saw them right. and then, oh, oh you got that thing tonight and you know you just saw each other a lot more right where now you just see somebody in the morning they relieve you and then you see somebody else the next day it's very impersonal yeah. you discuss what you need to do about the truck and that's it but you want to get out of there you've been there for 24 hours you know your family's waiting for you they've been you know, in whatever way, shape, or form your family takes or whatever. But, mm-hmm. you know, we worked, We the work-life balance was there more, where now we only we only come into work seven days a month. So although we are, you know, the new people coming on who don't even know any better. Yeah, they might be missing out on some things, you think? Well, definitely, I think they are. Right. But they're just so happy to be there. They're, they're firing on all cylinders for a full 24 right. hours. You know, they're just... But it's, uh, you but, know, for those of us who worked, you know, I worked 29 years on the old shift. Right. But Jordan and I discussed, though, that um, you can make the most of any shift, right? That it's a mentality where if you have so many days off in, in between now, you know, you can easily pepper in a day to go mountain biking. But, it's, but it just takes caring and effort. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it didn't happen. Now you, have to, now you have to work at it, where before it happened very naturally. Right. I'm working, you know, three nights. So I'll... I, it's nothing to come in a couple hours early. I have to come in anyway. Right. So I bring my bike and we ride and then we go to work. Hmm. Where now, you know, you leave in the morning. It's like, oh, I got to get home. And then right. you're tired and the next day can be affected by however your night was. Some crews sleep the whole night. Other crews are out five times after midnight. Oh my gosh. That's, uh, that'll leave a mark <laughs> the next day. For sure. So, you know, I find it's, I don't know. It's just not my cup of tea. Right. But I mean, being in a democracy, right? That we, you know, we, someone wants to champion change and if enough people back it, then it ends up happening, right? And we, and you and I have talked too about how... Can you see my eyes rolling? Yeah. <laughs> about how, um, what job you're doing within that shift matters too, right? You and I have reflected on like, I'm still riding backstep. Yeah. Riding backwards and, and it's a different different deal for me than it is for you as a DC. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, the position, it took me several years to become a DC. I didn't, I didn't fast track anything. You know, I wrote three times for captain and three times for DC. I've mm-hmm. been around the block and the whole world of exams and that whole process. And nor did I ever want to, you know, I guess it wasn't hundred percent my forte. That's just not my Test deal. Skill. Yeah. But I, I just worked hard at it and just stayed at it. So, but it's, the job has certainly changed from where I was initially trying to pursue that position. It's not what it was. Mm. And now it's for 24 hours. Right. So holy cow, that's, it's a long time to stay that engaged mm. and have that much responsibility on you. Sure. You know, we have so many people now. We've got like 102 people per shift. Holy cow. Still being managed by two, two managers. <laughs> yeah, we have a PC, but we don't try and rely on them as much for a lot of things. Yeah. And they have their own jobs. They're very busy as well. So it's a lot of cats to herd. Oh, <laughs> a huge bag of cats. Right. <laughs> so, you know, trying to, you know, trying to make changes like that, right. If it doesn't have to be a shift, but any kind of change. And I spoke to Jordan about this too, right. About how we, we, we get into jobs because we want it to be different all the time. And we, and we want change yet. We want things to stay the same simultaneously, yeah. but, so 
you know, making these changes is challenging, right? Not everyone's like, oh yeah, change. That's amazing. Let's do that, right? So it, it takes work. Have you, have you ever tackled any kind of like major undertaking to change something within the department? Well, the, the change, if the change is for the, like change is inevitable. That's just it. I've said to so many people where they're at their hall, it's like, oh, well, I don't want to, I don't want to write because I don't want to move halls and I don't want to, you know, I like my crew and all that sort of thing. It's like, if you don't move, everyone else does. Yeah. So the dynamics and, and how things are at a hall, they're constantly evolving and, and changing. So when I think that as long as the change is for the betterment, I'm all for it. But that whole change for the sake of change, hey, let's just shake things up just to shake things up to show to what? To show that you have the power to shake things up. I think that's an abuse of power sometimes sure. to change for the sake of change. So have you seen um, anything that needed to change or that you thought could be made better and you decided to champion it? And Well, yeah, we, you know, at one point our station where we looked like janitors we had the blue pants and the light blue shirts right. and all we were missing was the you know whole ring of keys on your thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, you had to come at... in in class a's right uh oh man okay we, so so let's had... walk me through that process what your day would be like so i would ride my bike into work and we would have lineups in front of the trucks in dress uniform with a hat and everything so i would have to ride my bike into work change out of my riding clothes into my dress uniform, go down and have lineup so that we, you know, they did, that's how they did the roster and that's how we switched over with crews. We didn't person do, for person we didn't, facing. No, we, didn't in do, the... we didn't do man for man. We did oh. the whole crew. Okay. So yeah, but I mean the whole crew and lining up facing who you're changing with. Yes. 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 It was like a, like we were going to have some sort of lineup for a hockey game or something like that. You right. know, your crew's on your side and these guys are on this side and everybody's there and they're, they're inspecting everybody to make sure you had your hat and all this sort of stuff <laughs> and all in dress uniform. And then, uh, and then we would go and change into our fatigues for the day. And at the end of the day, I'd change out of my fatigues in my dress uniform, do our, do our lineup, exchange with the other crew, and then go up and change, change again into my riding stuff and then ride home. But if you had to do inspections during the day, did you not have to go back in your dress uniform yeah. again? Yeah, we did. We did inspections so did you ever get caught uniform. with a call in your dress uniform? Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And well, you, it, would, you would lose the tunic. Right. But, you know, wool pants, they were... <laughs> Less than comfortable. <laughs> but then it gets all sullied and then you got to oh, come yeah. back and you oh. got a messed up dress uniform. Oh, like sure. oh, you, yeah. you were changing. Oh, nonstop. Nonstop. Yeah. I need some <laughs> Clark Kent glasses. I was just changing so much. Right. <laughs> Where's the phone booth? <laughs> so, yeah, did you. So that, you know, not doing that now. Nah, that's pretty good. Right. So how did that change? Talk me through um, like when did when and how did that change? Boy, I'm not 100% sure about that. Right. Yeah, I don't. But you saw something about about the what you wore around the station, and you and you thought. Well, yeah. Getting back to that, I was I was around the hall, and we used to wear these Scott McHales around the hall. These were your day to day shoes. Well, they were leather bottom, dress shoes that you know just got destroyed because you you wore them around the hall. You know, mopping and cleaning right. trucks and all that sort of stuff. They got worn in, so they're leather bottom shoes around a wet floor all the time. Right. They were the worst things we could possibly wear. There was no support in them. They were they were horrible. So I had thought we got to have something better than this. So I, I went to research these Nike Air Cross trainers, black okay. $100 running shoes. And at the time, half the old codgers on the job, they'd never worn a pair of $100 running shoes. Did some of them love the shoes? Did everyone hate the shoes? Well, I, I went to a store and bonied up with them and said, you know, what was going on and what I was trying to do. And they gave me a bunch of sizes. And I went to every hall on wow. every shift and showed them these shoes. 
and said, you know, we could have these shoes if we all come out and vote on them. And a lot of guys were like, oh, you know, you don't mess with our collective agreement and our clothing issue. And you don't, you just don't give the, go near that, you young pup. Right. And I'm like, this is going to be so much better. And everybody right. would put them on and go, well, you know, uh, these are, uh, these are uh, pretty <laughs> comfortable shoes. Everyone box first yeah. until it's proven, oh, right? Oh my yeah. gosh. So yeah. then, you know, it got voted and I had to go back and forth to several union meetings. All unpaid. Oh yeah, I was all 100% of my own time. Right. Back then you did, there was no time owing. There was no overtime. There was, that, those words weren't even, right. you didn't put in for anything. So if you took it on. Half, if a guy was a half an hour late, you waited for him and that was just tough beans and you know, right. you'll get him somewhere else in your career. Nobody's going anywhere. <laughs> so we finally, after I go through all the, the rigmarole of going to all these union meetings and having people come and. You know, he, he kept having to go back because I didn't know the whole exact procedure with it because I was really treading on unhallowed ground here right. or hallowed ground. So yes. I uh, eventually got them through and then, you know, here it is, station one one day, there's like 200 boxes of <laughs> Nike Air Cross trainers in there. What a coup. It was uh, it was amazing. Were and you everyone a, loved them. Were you a firefighter when you did this? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yes. how did that feel when you saw it, it come to fruition? Next thing you know, everyone's wearing the shoes and all that effort you put in made it, made well, it happen. Well, it was, it was so neat. It was, yeah, I was right. so proud of it and everything. You know, I was like, oh, look what I did. And be, meanwhile, everyone loved them. That was the, that right, was the biggest right. thing. Everyone loved them. So for right. a, a couple of years, Nike Air Cross trainers were the selection of what you could wow. get on the job. And then it all went to green patch and we should be wearing safety boots. Right. <laughs> we should be more safe than this. What if you drop a bottle on your foot? Right. Like, well, these are so light, you'll get your foot out of the way in no time. Right. So do you do you believe strongly then, you know, having that experience that you can produce change in a, in a fire department from any position? For you just sure. got to pick it up and champion it and run with it. Yeah. if it's, And fight against all this, this, this you know, the pushback you're going to get. Yeah. And depending on what it is you're doing, you know what I mean? If it is change for the sake of the betterment of everyone, not just some personal thing that, you know, well, I'd really like underwear, you know, uh, Although I think underwear is a good thing. Sure. <laughs> For most of us, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. you know, we should be wearing, you know, dry fit underwear and everything or everything that's that's better for you. So, you know, we get into a job that's very physical and, and you'll be sweating and working out and that type of thing. So she should have the proper clothing on. Right. Definitely. I have yeah. a big thing for that, for the whole uniform. I'm, I'm big on that. I like having... There's a few guys I bust their uh, chops, bust their chops all the time. Yeah. Well, especially, I mean, you've mentioned too about, you know, when you're in public, right? Oh my gosh, we're so about the, the cur public the curtain eye. going up. And, yeah, when and those doors go open, it is showtime. Mm -hmm. Training's over. Practice is over. It's, right. it's go time now. And everyone is filming you. Everyone is filming you. Every house fire you go to, even when you're working on, on grandpa's chest there, pounding on him, doing defib and everything, somebody's mm -hmm. going to be filming you. This is the most shocking thing they've ever seen in their life. And right. everyone has a phone. And they're not afraid to use it. Mm -hmm. uh, the whole world has become very bold in posting and commenting and having their opinion on things. Meanwhile, they don't really know what they're 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 talking about. Yeah, look what I saw today. Yeah, it's yeah. not about you, not about the person you're helping. It's look what I saw. Yeah, and next thing you know, everybody in other departments is scrutinizing what it was you did, either good or bad. So right. you know, you can look like a rock star, or you can look like a failure. Mm -hmm. So you're, it's your choice. It's totally your choice. So right. that gets back to the whole rookie thing and first class thing and everybody working together as a team and realizing uh, how their perception is going to be because public perception, we're being paid by the public. That's our, that's our, our salary 
is based on that. So we really need to perform for them. And you, you don't get a second chance. That's it. You're being filmed right now. Right. Screw up or, or again, like I said, being a rock star. You can be, you can look really polished. Yeah. So. So how do you feel about these guys that think, um, you know, we, we, we go and do some training on something and they've been exposed to it, but they've never, they haven't learned it. Right. So these guys that get, get exposed to something and think five years from now, I'll just be able to rise to the challenge and replicate that. Yeah. You won't. Not at that time. There's so much pressure and so much other things going on when, you know, when the actual shit is hitting the fan, like when it, this is really going down, we've mm -hmm. got reports of this and, you know, we've got flames visible and people trapped and, you know, cars in the driveway and we, we get calls like that. So it's, it's, it's difficult to stay that focused all the time on every call, every time, all the, oh, you know, every time the tones go off. Right. So... You just have to really know when you need to perform, which is all the time, really. And again, it goes back to that's what you're being paid for. You're a professional. That whole amateurs practice to get it right and professionals practice so they don't get it wrong. Mm -hmm. So I love that statement. And, and we're professionals. We're in a professional union. We're doing a professional job in a, in a city that we don't have any uh, part-time. We're it. So you have to act like it, be it, look like it. You know, everything that there is, all the different aspects of it. I think you should really recognize what they are and try and hit 10 out of 10. Right. So how did you, uh, did you find it easy to, and how did you impart that as a captain? And then was it DC? Did it evolve? Did you grow into that mentality? Was it always there? Did you have any challenges? There's a lot of questions loaded into one, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. all of a sudden you're a leader and yeah. you have this mentality and not everybody with you might, might. Well, I got made up and I went immediately to station four to work with the crew out there. And, you know, that's the hazmat crew, which is, uh, you know, if you can run a hazmat call, you can run anything. It's very in depth. There's a lot of layers to it. There's a lot going on. Um, it's hurry up and wait. And, and I had an exceptional crew out there working with those guys. And, and it was, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of great times and we, we worked very hard. We trained very hard. And I, I had this thing for the awning on our hazmat truck and and we practiced the awning at nauseam and they always got you know so mad at me it was like oh i guess we're doing goddamn awning training again today <laughs> but i'd always pointed out it's the first thing you set up when you roll up on scene you need the protection you need the isolation you need the privacy you need to be able to, sure. to create that space to get your gear out to set everything up and that sort of thing and that's going to be the first thing you set up so you, you i've seen you guys set up that awning <laughs> Is that what you want to look like? We might as well pull up and play circus music so that we're, <laughs> while we're trying to set up the awning. Right. Oh this is God. our best. Oh, Lord. This is what we're paying all this money for? They can't even get the awning right. set up. <laughs> yes. Or it's taken 25 minutes to get the awning set right, up. Right, right. So, you know. and Is and that an it, instruction booklet? Are, oh, they, are they honestly thinking they need to, they can read this and learn it right now? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it says put this in slot A. <laughs> oh man. But you know, they practice and they got very good at it. Mm -hmm. And then we could set it up like nothing. It was like which looked super professional. Right. And you know, we only had a couple a couple real, you know, necessary mm -hmm. hazmat calls. But again, boom bang, looking pro. Was that a breakthrough then for you, you know, um making that shift in the with the crew? Did they realize then that transitioned into well, the next thing you train on, the next thing you train on? Like this is did it well, change mentality? I think, you know, because we were always doing training anyway, they knew the the seriousness of it and what you needed to know. And, you know, back then we had Hasmania going and mm -hmm. uh, you know, 
they understood what training we necessarily had to do. And, and there was full buy-in. You know, everybody was into that sort of thing. But this whole awning thing, what's with the awning thing all the time? Oh, my God, let it go. It's like, yeah, but we look so bad. Right. <laughs> and that's going to be the first thing we do when we pull up. And nobody right. could kind of get their heads around around the the necessity of, of being sharp when you first pull up. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't you don't jump off with circus music playing. You, you get off with purpose and, and mm-hmm. do things professionally. and, and Worry about the more important things. Well, it was funny that I think that was important right off the hop. Right. Yeah, there was other things going on as well. Yeah. You know, gathering information and isolation but and details setting up zones matter. and that sort of thing. But then, you know, that's part of your operations is is going to be getting ready for it. Mm-hmm. So. Did you ever experience any major pushback when you tried to impart this professionalism? I mean, uh, I mean, Jeff, Jeff Clayton's going to be coming up um, on our next episode, which I'm really excited about. And one of the things he, I'm even stealing a little bit of thunder here, but, you know, he said, if, and then Jordan talked about it, about just, he said, you know, you have to care. That's where it has to start. You have to care. And Jeff has always uh, framed it as um, if you could teach passion, you don't teach anything else mm-hmm. because people will just seek it out on their own. Right. But yeah, if you, have you had that experience where you've, you've had to get through pushback and get that solved before you can even get to what you need to do? Yeah, you do need to, you do need to care. I call it the give a shit factor, like where, where the needle is on, on that. Are you flatlining that you just don't care about anything? Like you're, it's really low or, you know, you do have to care. You do. And I think a lot of people, they're hired because they are caring people. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, you don't want to get into that whole uh, complacency thing. That's the, the most evil weed that can grow in our, uh, in our field so we want to try and recognize that and and nip it but i think we're getting better at it i really do i think uh, everybody has a better attitude about things and again we're we're backfilling with with great people who don't have that so it's it's trying to keep that as long as we can i said that in the last rookie class you guys are the shiniest pennies we have (laughs) (laughs) you want to try and keep it right you know try and get you know what we do with pennies we get rid of them analogy that's right how you uh how you find we're gonna go what's a penny right exactly (laughs) that's when you know it's time to leave right (laughs) i'm out of here i'm out of here how are you finding your current roles at dc Mm. how's that been challenging it's uh it's a lot of work and again with the schedule i think that's what uh that's what really hurts it's uh we don't have the help that i think we should have you know, we don't have an administrative assistant, yet a lot of our job is administrative. Mm-hmm. There's administrative assistants in every other division, except ours. I don't want to be bleeding all over your microphone, but... It's the reality. It is the reality. So, you know, you could definitely use some help in there. And, and again, you it's a lot of computer stuff. I don't even own a home computer. <laughs> but it's it, it's that's just not my bag. That's not my bag. And it is other people's, which is fantastic. And, you know, rock it out. I think, and again, that rolls back to everybody's skills and to be able to rely on other people. And we, we are a family in that we should be able to rely on, on one another. And each division feeds other divisions. It's not, we're not at war here. We're all wearing the same uniform. Good mm-hmm. Lord, people, have a look. <laughs> so, and if, if, you're, if you're good to everybody, they'll be good back to you. Right. So I don't know why people get mad at other people in other divisions for certain things. Right. They're trying to do their job. They're trying to do what they can. Yeah. Did you just hear about this call on your own? Did someone have to tell you? Uh, did this truck just appear and it just runs automatically? Like, yeah, oh yeah. You know, the we, gear you're wearing, did you make it? And, 
you know, if you if you thought we're more all on the same team, I think things would operate a lot smoother interdivisionally, for sure. So there wouldn't be any. And I th- and again, I think we're 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 backfilling with people who are very good and don't and don't see those barriers. Right. So I think those things are coming down block by block. It's a real um, it's a real humility thing that uh, you know after everyone is done what they are supposed to do and allows you on the end at the end user to be you know showtime lights on, you know nozzle works, hose works, pumps work. Mm-hmm. You know, the trucks are running, all of it. Well, and, and you do your amazing thing and you walk away thinking, I did that. <laughs> when when you were you were the last person, do you know what I mean? And, and I've, I've mentioned this too about fire prevention as well. I'll, I'll sort of, you know, make a mention of them too that, um, you know, they never get kudos for the 10,000 fires that didn't happen. Yeah, that's right? uh, it's but, hard to quantify. But, but think of how many lives they've saved from doing their work. Yeah. But... Because of what the difference of what we do on uh, on the emergency scene, we tend to see ours as the most important of everything. Well, yeah, because people are in trouble at that point. But right. I see your point for sure. Well, fire prevention—that's <clears throat> half of our mission statement, right? right? Is to prevent fires. But you wouldn't be able to to do that most important thing in that moment if you didn't have everybody else. Uh, yeah, yeah. But everyone needs to be trained very well. Everybody needs to is to, you know, know their role and be very good at it. Mm-hmm. And again, it goes back to us being professionals. I keep mm-hmm. harping on that, but we are. We're not mm-hmm. willy nilly. You know, we've got a lot of structures in place that we need to, you know, follow and and you know have a good time doing it. You know, it doesn't it doesn't have to be this hard thing. You can we all get along. We have great attitudes, and and mm-hmm. I think that that is getting better and better all the time. So so to shine a light on the DC's office a little bit. So because uh, I think sometimes you know having done work in the train division, I think there's this there's a lot of misconceptions and misunderstanding. Unless you've been doing the job, you don't appreciate it, right? I mean, if everyone spent time working in every division, I think we'd all appreciate each other more. I think there's a lot of ignorance there. Right? We just think, well, what do those guys do? Or what do they do? Or how hard is that, right? It's just all based on ignorance. So, and you've mentioned about, you know, the level of work involved in DC's office. And, you know, every every phone call you get, and I experience this in training that, you know, you get a phone call, and rightly so, for something important. But sometimes there's maybe there's this mentality that, their phone call is the only one you're getting that day and you're just sitting around waiting for them to call for their loo day right the and you mentioned you going that 30 seconds <clears throat> yeah and you mentioned uh you know you go into every hall and, you, and you're always getting the shirt tug hey chief hey chief hey chief right and that's you just show up in their hall for that little bit of time and they, and and they get you but you're getting that everywhere right so well yeah and and that's where a, a lot of guys don't realize that you know each hall you go to people want to know things they you know well what have you heard what's the what's the gossip what's going on well, I heard right. about this is that true about this and you know you're all you're always have to be mentally switched on to know everything that's going on like nobody else is listening to a radio all day for the entire shift mm-hmm. that's it's a lot to well didn't you hear me say that it's like I can't hear everything. Oh my gosh, I go crazy. Right. But yeah, you do. It's it's just the nonstop of that position, and your only break is you know kind of driving around Brampton, which is not a break. That's not a break. No. <laughs> and then emergency driving in a pickup truck, uh, which is not seen and heard as well as a larger you know pumper or an aerial. Yeah, yeah. You uh, you got to be switched on. Right. I've told Gord I'm the best driver in the city. <laughs> Knock on wood, I've never scratched anything. But like mentally, 
taxing, right? And then if yeah. you end up running some calls through the night, yeah. On top of that, like by the time you get off your shift, so and they they talk about fits, and we're you know Eddie Davis is championing that, and uh, I see the need for them if where you kind of want them. You know, I've been on the job long enough that I know where I need help. So don't tell me where I'm, I'm, you know, you're just going to shove it down my throat. Here's this guy and yeah, you're going to train him and you're going to do this with him and this is what's going to happen. And I don't think that that washes very well. Mm. You know, I've got, I've been on the job four times longer than this person and right. and they're going to be doing certain things. You know, I, I, I know where I want the help. I know right. what somebody can do. You know, to try and operate that computer, the MDU, while you're navigating traffic and everything. I want somebody to run that. Somebody mm. to pull up the pre-plans. I want a co-pilot. Right. So so speak. To, so basically, speak opinion. to the people. If you're going to offer people help, Ask speak them where to they the people that help. speak to the people that do the job. Yeah. Yeah. That's and they'll let you know. Yeah. We. You know. We're all aware of the fact that certain people are making decisions for people who they don't really come to you for opinions or or where we and uh, sometimes they do, but. Mm, Sometimes they don't, <laughs> where maybe they should. Right. So it's it's not a it's not a help. It's a hindrance sometimes. Well, it can be. You know, mm -hmm. don't make my job worse. Right. So, but uh, you know, I like having the the influence on more crews and and you know that type of thing. If because I I hope I can instill a positive influence on people. I don't like grumbling too much. Now, you know, we have bad days too mm -hmm. where things aren't really rolling well and, but everybody does. And you hope that people have a bit of, you know, yeah, I get that. I get that you have an off day. I get that you just want to sit down and just be nice to watch a couple innings of a J game or something like that. Or, you know, to be able to have a, a bit of downtime. I can't even seem to get a workout in. <laughs> Uh, but those are my own choices, so I don't uh, I don't belittle anybody for that. So do you uh, do you have any? I mean, we've mentioned professionalism quite a bit, uh, which is really important. But too, too much. Too much. <laughs> I don't think you can mention it enough. Honestly, I don't think you can. It's a good reminder. Do you have? But do you have any advice that you give any of the ranks? Do you have any? You know, if we went by rank, and you were, do you have like some general advice? Do you have advice per rank? You could in the the ranks that you've participated in along your way like if you had to go back and tell your firefighter self and your captain self and pretty soon you're going to be retiring and it's not too far off and you could give your dc self some advice um you know it, maybe look a little down the road at your career and you know you might you might in the younger stages of your first class pay more attention to what's going on like you have to know your job and i know you and jordan talked about that you got it you, you know know your position and where you are and be very good at that. And again, have a lot of pride. When you put your uniform on, be proud of that. You know, lots of people, like you said, they're dying to have your job. So don't look at it as in, oh God, I got to go to work. You know, everyone does. So <laughs> newsflash. More often to, than you do. Yeah, I don't mean to smack you in the forehead there that you have to have a job. But, right. you know, we have amazing, we have, we're so lucky to have what we have and, and in the day that we have it, you know, we've got so many safety things in place now with everybody having extra sets of bunker gear and there's just so many safety and we're looking out for everybody's emotional and mental health now. That was not even heard of in, in, in the position that we're exposed to. So for, for junior people, know your position, be the best you can be at it and, and keep asking questions. Keep asking, you know, well, how do we do this and how can I do this better? And is it okay if I do this? And just, just be thinking all the time mm -hmm. how you can be a better position mm -hmm. and pay attention to your career. It's not, it's not a part-time thing to, to feed your, your part-time job. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if you find that, you know, you're, you're bored or, or whatever, then, but don't lose sight of what your bread and butter is, of what your real profession is and be very good at it. And what about senior firefighters? Anything special for them? Uh, that well, you need from them as a captain or a DC? Well, again, it gets into responsibility. And, and I don't know whether, you know, some people, uh, some guys have realized, well, that's why I don't write. I don't write for captain because I don't want the responsibility of being a captain. But you still have a responsibility as a first-class firefighter. You look, you're looked up to whether you realize it or not. You, you, are, you are the man. Mm-hmm. And you're, like, you're the right wing to your officers. Right. So you can be that buffer and you can be the best you can be at that position and recognizing your position. Mm-hmm. And you'll, you'll get more out of the job. The same way you go to become a captain. You'll, you'll never know more about the job than when you're writing for captain. There's just so much. They, they touch on first class stuff. They touch on DC command situations. It's everything and everything. It's right across the board. But know your people. Know who you're and their strengths. And, and, I, and all our officers do this. They do. They're, they're so in tune now. There's not much. Uh, I don't think... Babysitting with a lot of people, know your strengths of your crews and, and what you can get. Even new guys, and especially new guys, because you, you don't know what, what they have to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Well, as a, as a captain with, um, you know, one of the holes in many services is that uh, you just get thrown basically into the front seat, right? You write a test, you get thrown in the front seat, and you sort of learn as you go, which the job doesn't always let you do that comfortably. Um, would you look back at your captain self and say, <clears throat> you know, if you're, if you, if you're not being offered this type of support to make this change and, and learn this stuff and, you know, A, you know, try and speak up and fight for it. Uh, but B, like, would you, do you think that they should take any outside courses? Like, would that have been helpful? Um, well, it's funny. I never went to the fire college. Right. <laughs> Did I say that too loud? <laughs> it just never... Either things weren't offered or I didn't need them or when I could, I couldn't go. And I, it just never, it never mm-hmm. worked out. And I was never, you know, voluntold to go. Right. But if you, if, if that's what you want to do to excel at things, don't ever close any doors or, or, you know, open your eyes and, and, uh, use those opportunities because they're everywhere. And again, that's what people want to get out of their jobs. Some people just want to show up and get their paycheck and move on. Right. Which is disheartening. It is a little bit. It is. It's kind of, you know, that don't feel uh, that fortunate to have their job, perhaps. But, you know, again, they're all personal choices. And again, the way our shift has moved now, you can have more personal life because you're home more. Mm -hmm. You're not at work as much. You are on an hourly basis, but, you know... We can't be firing on all cylinders for 24 hours. Nobody can. Right. It's, I just, it's too long. But these people that wait for, like if you even, even, you know, if you wait for the training division to come to you, like they're overwhelmed and understaffed and, you know, oh, they'll, they'll, they'll teach me about that when I'm supposed to know it. Or if I, if I don't do that right, I'll just explain that I wasn't trained on it. It's like there's this personal, at some point there has to be this personal ownership that, well, the calls are still going to keep coming. So you know, even if this is on my own dime, I should probably go and take a course for my own well-being and the well-being of other people. Yeah, if it, if it, you know, I think if you're at the at station two and you're doing high level and all the rope stuff, I don't think you're going to go and take a hazmat course. Right. 
You know what I mean? So, you know, if that's going to help your career and you have an interest in that, that's why I think a lot of times we make decisions to put people at halls who have interest in things. It never used to be like that. Mm. If you wanted to go to station four, that's good because you're going to three. Right. So (laughs) you're going to be the opposite side of the city. Just because. Yeah, just because. Yeah, we can't, we don't want happy people. We don't want people being, getting what they want because then it looks like you get what you want. So, but yeah, if you want to further your career, I think captains need to stay uh, ever evolving and continually training on their own and what, you know, use your rookies because they have to go through processes. So use that opportunity to help keep up with everybody. And now we're trying to get into the whole Skype thing, which might end up helping in that we discuss things with other halls and halls that aren't as busy that have, uh, you know, um, more senior firefighters at it and don't have, uh, rookies at it. Maybe they can piggyback off of what this hall is doing. And while well, these guys have this plan for today, it's like, oh, that's a good idea. Well, maybe we should do that. So mm-hmm. this is me trying to plug technology. <laughs> From the guy that doesn't have a personal computer. <laughs> yeah, yay, Skype. <laughs> but I'm trying to see the glass half full. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then as a DC, like if you had it, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're seeing the end of your career coming. Ouch. I did, right? Yeah. <laughs> I guess. So Where's it w- all w- gone? would you give your like transitioning to DC, would you give yourself, I mean, it's, sometimes it's tough, right? You're in it right now, but give yourself some advice. Like what would you, what would you tell yourself to just quit now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. Uh, I don't know. I need to try and, uh, I don't know, boy, maybe try and, uh, you know, have, have a bit of time to yourself through the 24 hours you know you don't even you don't even sleep well when you're there like it's i don't know you just it's the responsibility Mm -hmm. that's really what it is you're responsible for a lot Mm -hmm. so you know you're that's you own half the city right and And it's not easy to be nonchalant about it because it's it's legitimate well yeah and you shouldn't be you should have respect for the position and and i i think for the most part i do for sure Mm -hmm. so i'm not sure what kind of advice you know Hmm, that's a good one. What do I say to myself? I'll figure that one out on the way home. <laughs> uh, what, what was the most, uh, like looking back now, so let's do a little bit of a retrospect, right? Um, how many how many years left, do you think? Uh, All well, you acting captains, listen up. It's... I don't know. <laughs> you start making your list. I'm staying till I'm 60. Right? That's right. <laughs> I'm going to put 40 years around here. Yeah, yeah, some do, right? Yeah, I could. Yeah, if I stayed till I was 60, I'd have 40 years mm-hmm. on our department. Holy mm-hmm. cow. And what other jobs do people stay that long these days? Know. Nobody. Nobody. What, what's uh what's been the most fulfilling thing? Um I think just having the job itself. I think, you know, it it's so funny how some people they say, well, you know, the job does not define me. That's not that's not who I am. Mm-hmm. And it's like when well, I leave this place, I never think about it. Yeah, and, yeah, I'm not that's not me and blah blah yeah, blah. But that's like, view well, of this place is in the rearview mirror. Well, like, yeah. news flash. And as soon as you utter those words to anybody else, they have a, a preconceived image of you and what you're what you are capable of and what you've been exposed to and what what you should be able to do, you know, if your child collapses at a mall and, you know, that type of thing. So in part, and a lot of people, you know, lots of people who work volunteer jobs. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're volunteer firefighters. They're not switched off ever. Mm-hmm. They're 24 seven, which is, wow, that's, that's a lot. So you, the job follows you whether you want it or not. It's like a tail. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you going to cut your tail off? Like it's, it just is what it is. That's just what happens to you when you, 
join the service. Right. And I mean, and it's not like we should be, you know, just accepting everything to do it for free. I mean, you, you know, you still have to, you know, work at being compensated properly and then safety. Like you have to work at having your job be good to you and good for you. But when you, when you free yourself and just feel like the, this is you, right? I mean, you and I are, if, if we encounter something in, in, on the way to, our, you know, have lunch today, we're just going to stop. We're just going to pull over and do it. Like if someone fired us tomorrow, we're not going to stop being who we are. No. Do you know what I mean? You would still act that way. So I think when, when the job, when you align the job or the job aligns just naturally with who you are as a person, sometimes you don't feel like you're at work. No, and nor do you feel like you're doing your work. Meanwhile, you just did something that was incredible. Yeah, but it's just... Because you were the right person at the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. The right time, I guess. Yeah. But you love it so much and it's just, you're just happy to be there that, you know, I I think you can, I think you can be unhappy with your workplace, but love your job. Yeah. Well, there's not much to not love about our job. We're provided, you know, we're... We're provided with so much, you know, you never have to buy clothes. You never have to make a decision on what you're going to wear to work tomorrow. Right. You never have to go and spend money on clothing and decide, you know, make fashion choices or anything like that. It's like blue or blue. Yeah. Fire t-shirt when I'm off, yeah. uniform when I'm on. Yeah. Well, DC's coming. Where's my uniform? Right, right. So, yeah, no, there's nothing... There's nothing not to love. And, and it, you know, and again, people, there's so many people who would say, I couldn't do your job. Oh God, I can't do your job. Right. It's like, well, there's lots of people who can and love it. So right. it's, it kind of fits the personality of the type of people. And we talk about that in the whole peer support thing. You mentioned yeah. about the, that type of personality to do this job. Right. So you get a room full of those people. That's, that's a lot of firecrackers in one mm-hmm. room. But it, I think it's I think it's um, it's too bad that some people equate ups, being upset with their workplace with then they get then they start not liking their job, and then and then they allow they, they either allow themselves like they do this to themselves or they let, or they allow others or issues to take take a day of their job away from them. Yeah, right. Certainly you, a portion of it. Yeah. If you if you have the mentality that no one's going to steal a day of my job from me, because it's my choice, it's my career, right? Why should I let that negativity influence me today? Like this is, I only get so many of these, right? So why should I let you steal a day of my career away from me? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Depends on how, uh, you know, it's so situational. You know, every day is different. Mm -hmm. You can change the dynamics of a hall with people coming in and people going out and vacations and stuff like that. Every shift, although you work at the same hall, you get different personalities around there, influencing or non-influencing in, in what way, shape, or form. But yeah, you're right. It is your own day. And, and you know, you better show up ready to play. Mm-hmm. You can't really show up for a 24-hour shift, having stayed out till 2 in the morning, gone to a, a U2 concert or something, and, and, and show up not in very good position to to be prepared to do your do your job for 24 hours yeah. who's that band are they are just making you feel old <laughs> <laughs> they're still together <laughs> just uh, well they are aren't they? just jabbing you yeah <laughs> oh man yeah it's been a great ride i've had i've thoroughly enjoyed it there's nothing that i i could say really um negatively about it and it just seems to be getting uh, overall better, mm-hmm. just better. You know, we have more people in place that, that, uh, are able to do more things and we get more things done and, you know, our programs are being helpful and, and, you know, we're really a lot of the, the fire life safety things that we're getting and programs that, that, you know, they don't have, the, they don't have the number of people to do the work. 
we need to do the work uh, as if three people are going to reach out and touch the whole city. Right. So when we have time, we can, you know, help out. And that's, that's all it is really mm-hmm. is just helping out. Mm-hmm. So we're still, again, we're still all part of the same team and we're still all out there helping the citizens of Brampton, right. and making people more aware and more safe so that we don't have to get into those horrific positions. Mm-hmm. So how's your involvement with um, like charity work and the community on that level and wanting to be involved above and beyond well, you go, you know, you do your boot drives, you, you participate, you right. know, in, in positions and times, you know, I did all the bingos and did the MD telethons back then. Oh right. man, those bingos. And that was back when you could smoke in a bingo lounge. It was crazy. Did I just say bingo lounge? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was something else. You had to burn your clothes the next day when you came home. It was terrible. Which the fire halls used to be like. Yes. Oh my gosh. Right. You used they, to be able to smoke in station one when I got there, right. sitting around the kitchen table, finish eating and have a dart. Right. Wow. Whose idea was the, uh, it was yours, wasn't it, for winter camping on top of City Hall for the MD boot drive? Um, was that your idea? I don't know. I don't quite remember. I thought right. somebody was doing it and then somebody put a bug in my ear and I was like, yeah, I can do that. Right. Piece of cake. Yeah. I just celebrated 30 years of winter camping. You did. Great. <laughs> Five days. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's wow. a highlight which is a whole other podcast yeah but the so yeah, that was unique the, right so the boot drive has been going on for pff, longer than i've been on the job and yeah and yet there was this twist right it was a way to make it fresh and and uh so on top of city hall in the midwinter yeah yeah we were right outside the mayor's pit, office pitch tents pitch tents and, and lived up there and, and then lower the boot lower the boot and people would you know, part of that whole festivities of downtown which was you know nowadays just rocking maybe right. we should do that again i don't know right. And then we had a guy trying to steal money out of the boot. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't my boot. No. But yeah, yeah. I heard. We, like, he looks like he's going to come drop some money and yeah. he starts trying to like, trying oh. Trying to rifle through. Yeah. Reel that boot in. This isn't a, yeah. a carnival game. Oh, I know. Totally. <laughs> but you know, that was uh, that was a lot of fun. And it, it's 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 fun doing things that are fun. And you the calendar I mean? shows when you want to talk about fun. Oh, God, the calendar shows, they were, uh, they were a tremendous amount of fun, but Hey, it's all for the children. (laughs) We made a ton of money off of that. Oh, for, yeah. Like tons of money. Tens of thousands, 60 grand plus. Per year. Per year. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was, uh, boy, some of those nights I got, I, I, one particular year I was the, there was 1300 people there. 1,300 women there. Yeah. And, and two nights. In the curling club, yeah. And I was the last act wow. of the show. Right. Wow, you felt like you were one of the Beatles. It was crazy. <laughs> You're 15 minutes oh, in the spotlight. totally. Yeah. yeah. Actually, it was only like three and a half, but right. it felt like it. But, and what other job, right? What yeah, unique... what other job, yeah. How that allowed you to, you know, and, and everyone involved had had such a fun time doing it. You right. know, it was, it was nerve-wracking. It was... But, you know, everybody did such a great job from guys serving drinks all night mm-hmm. to, you know, backstage <clears throat> people keeping all that together. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, having the courage to go out on stage and do something like that. Right. Yeah. Which so. is, it, which is a, a, you know, the, the, our persona talked about this with Jordan about how, you know, you've been on for, if you've been on for five minutes and you, you're at, you're going to a coffee and someone's looking at you and will come up and say, thanks for everything you do. And you haven't even done you just literally put your uniform on this morning. Yeah. Like, events like that are a, a reminder, right? That you're, the, the the traditions and the work before you has built a view, a persona of what you are. And part and, of um, that, yeah. And people, that's what draws people in and allows this to happen. And so you, there's a lot to live up to, right? Yeah, definitely. 
even in fun moments like that, right? You have to be reminded of like, no one else would show up if we did something else and we put that on. No, it's not, not in the many, same not way. Many, yeah, not many professions could. Not in the same way. No, yeah. not in the same way. So we're lucky, you know, lucky to have that. And I, I, I don't think we exploited it, but we certainly used it to our advantage to Well, there was an expectation money. to what they, what people wanted, right? Yeah. Something yeah. to live up to. Sure. Yeah. We just, like you said, we gave them what they wanted. Right, right. You know, and it's easy to look down on anybody. And I find that hard too. We talk about championing things, right? That there's always people that want to push it down. Oh, you're the combat guy. Oh, you're the calendar guy. Oh, you're right. And, but you know, there are people that just want to delve into these, you know, unique opportunities throughout their career. And, and it doesn't make them that they, that they're less into the job. If anything, they're more into the job, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, probably. Right. No, it was, uh, they were, you know, and they're, they're like the extracurricular activities at school. You know, if people who went through school and never did anything after school. Right. So those people don't tend to do anything after work. Right. They go and they just do their thing and, you know. And they're missing out. Well, I, th- I think so. I know, I know I would not have, you know, I've, I've made a, you know, I've, I've achieved many things in my career to get to the position that I have and worked very hard to get there. Mm-hmm. But I've also done a lot of, you know, off off-campus stuff that, you know, off-the-job stuff that's helped and, you know, raised money and raised our profile and, you know, just as it, you didn't do it for that. It was just an offshoot and as a result of, of what it was you did. You know, we didn't start combat for all that recognition stuff. We just we just did it because it was, it was healthy for you, it was good for the job, and, you know, we were all competitors and mm-hmm. we had a very strong group of individuals working together and had a, had a goal in mind and and by result of that, though, you became tighter and tighter with your family in the fire service. Oh, definitely. Yeah, you were like a little Navy SEAL group there. Right. Now, there was there was pushback. You know, there were people who frowned upon what it was you were doing and the recognition you were getting. They didn't like that. Well, that's what I'm talking about with the calendar. You, you know, all of it, right? Yeah. Or, or even mountain biking with your friends after shift, like <clears throat> with your with your fire family. Like, you, it tightens everybody up. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, right. as long as we can... You know, try and keep that going. It's It doesn't happen naturally now. You have to work at it. Right. And again, going back to what you guys talked about, you have to care. You have to, right. it has to matter to you. Mm-hmm. So, so I think maybe we could, being conscious of our time, maybe we can leave on that note, right? Where uh, the, sure. the, the, the general advice to people would be to, you got to make that effort to. Well, it does take effort. Life yeah. takes effort though. Everything's effort. It's what you're going to get. What's the payout? Is it worth it? Mm-hmm. I think so. A hundred percent. Right. And I've, and I've shown that it does. So. Awesome. Get out there and do it. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep riding. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Scotty, my pleasure. All right. Uh, and hopefully, well, the, hopefully within the third time we do this, it'll be a, <laughs> yeah, a we'll another, get it right. another episode, yeah, not, we'll, not a redo of the first one. Yeah, we'll get it right. All right. Okay, take care, man. Okay, Scotty, thanks. All right, talk to you. See ya. Bye.